saying in some ways, you know, worship is like this, going to this pep rally where you have these songs and you hear them and you know they're true and you know they're true about you and you, you think, yeah, so I can, I can overcome this. I can see a change in my life. And then something happens when you get out in the parking lot. <laughs> you know, am I right? You just something different. I was thinking how confusing the whole COVID season is and as some of us feel like our whole spiritual life we live in COVID, like a spiritual COVID where it's okay, now it's, you, you're in a lockdown, now it's, going, it's getting better, now it's getting worse, now the things are going to change and all of that confusion, we're trying to figure it out. I think every time one of my pastor groups get together, we talk, they say, how are things going? And all of us just feel like, yeah, we're still trying to figure it out. Just trying to figure out how do you do ministry when you can't do ministry and all, all of these things and the changes that you got to make and just the upheaval that comes. Like, we were supposed to go down and we were going to surprise our grandson Luke. He turns three tomorrow and we were going to go down right from church and then leave at five in the morning so Cindy could be at work tomorrow and then the governor put New York on the, the no travel zone. So, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Fortunately, one of those few times they, didn't, they don't know, so they'll be surprised to see us on FaceTime. Cindy's still trying to come to grips with, with all of that. But isn't that how it is? You got plans. Hey, I can overcome. He's overcome. I can overcome. I got his victory by the blood of the lamb and my testimony, and then just something happens when you get out there. So as we wrap up Thessalonians today, I feel like there's a piece, a piece of this that speaks into, a, into the heart of what, some of this, what the issue might be for some of us. So we're at the very end of of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You want to turn there in your Bible or on your your device with me. We were looking looking at this a couple weeks ago, these really short commands that Paul gives. We were comparing it to, you know, when your mother used to leave your house or you used to leave the house and just these things she would tell you, don't forget or remember to do this. And that's kind of how these seem. So I want to back up to it in verse 16 and read through the end. He says to them, Rejoice always, and pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything, and hold fast what's good. Abstain from every form of evil. And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Probably one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. You know, he who calls you is faithful, he will do it. So many times his word to us is, just stay out of the way, would you? So, and then he goes on, brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Yeah. You gotta love that all of Paul's letters, they start and end with grace. So important for so many of us to realize that somehow in the middle, we keep trying to live the law, which just becomes this burden for us. So we looked a few weeks ago at rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. This morning, I wanna look at those, those other two. That things again in the way, when you go from the optimism and the hopefulness of worship to the reality of, of living things out, Oftentimes, it's these two, it's these two things that, that Paul writes to the Thessalonians about that, are, that become issues for us at the same time. He says, do not quench the, do not quench the spirit, or, or as we're looking at it, stop stifling the Holy Spirit. 
the Thessalonians were on a good run. They were on a good growth streak and something, something got in the way because this is a, you know, if you, if you get into your grammar, it's a, it's a command. We get that. It's present tense. So he's telling them to stop doing something that's going on. Stop quenching the Holy Spirit. Stop stifling the Holy Spirit. And it seems like to, to appreciate what he's saying or to appreciate what's supposed to be going on, we almost have to do like a, a short history of the Holy Spirit just so we get how, how radically different things are for us than our Old Testament, you know, brothers and sisters. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on just a few people for a very special purpose, and, and it, was, it was rare. It was so few that it was rare that he would, he would come upon people. It says in, in Exodus 31, when they're getting ready to build the first tabernacle, the portable temple, and God gives Moses all these details about it, incredibly specific details about how it's supposed to be built. And then he says, see, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the son of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the spirit of God and with the ability and intelligence and with knowledge and with all craftsmanship. So here's a man who's called to a very specific, important work, and I'm gonna put the spirit on him so that he's able to do that. Much later on in Israel's history, the, they ask for a king and they get a king and so Saul becomes the first king and it says, then the spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, Samuel's telling Saul, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Has another verse that I love. Don't you love that? The spirit will come upon you and you'll be turned into another man. You know, we sing these worship songs and you think, man, it's just not me. Here's a verse you need to come back to. It's not you, it's who the Holy Spirit's gonna turn you into. I mean, that's kind of his goal. So the Holy Spirit comes upon Saul and then David becomes the king. And Samuel, the prophet, takes the horn of oil, anointed David in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So you're the king, here's the Holy Spirit. You're the next king, here's the Holy Spirit. But the huge distinction, Old Testament, New Testament, a couple of verses after David is anointed, now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. So you know, Saul had disobeyed publicly. He had disobeyed in his role as king. And so God removed him and, and anointed David to be the king. And the spirit leaves, leaves Saul and comes upon David because that's how it worked in those days. You know, we wrestle with that last part, don't we? Whoa, I can understand taking the Holy Spirit, but a harmful spirit from the Lord to torment. I don't understand that fully. But I also know God will go to great lengths to get us to turn around from disobedience. And if it takes a harmful spirit to do that, he's willing to do that. That's a sign of love. And so you have that. Now, an interesting thing that happens with David, he commits adultery, then he kills, he kills Bathsheba, this woman's husband, so that he can cover himself. And then God finally points out to him what he's done. He finally opens his eyes and receives that. And this is part of that open prayer of confession. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Because he understands, Old Testament, he doesn't understand he's in the Old Testament, but he does understand the Spirit comes temporarily for a specific purpose on specific people in that time. And he understands that I've just violated everything you want, God, from the King. So please don't take the Spirit from me, which, which would mean removing me as King and, and putting another person King. This is a prayer you never, ever have to pray. 
because when you get over into the, the New Testament side of things, everything changes radically. The average follower of God didn't have the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit might give them wisdom or, or something, but they didn't experience anything like we experience. Then you move through into the prophets, as, as you move through this history, into the prophets, and now this promise is hung out there that w- things are going to be radically different. He says in Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and, I, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone that makes us so rebellious or so self-centered. I'll remove that from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I mean, the New Testament, as we understand when this happens, you're going to get to a point where you stop trying to keep the law. You're going to realize you never could keep my word. But now the Holy Spirit in you is going to give you the ability to do that. That would have been a wow moment if you're an Old Testament believer. He's kind of, what? And then in the prophet Joel, you get this reiterated. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And if you're Old Testament religious person, you gotta be thinking, wow, you gotta be kidding me. Everybody is going to get this Holy Spirit. So then you move into the New Testament and bang, here's the day of Pentecost when the Spirit comes upon the, the church. All the believers, the 120 that are gathered together who, who were convinced that Jesus was who he said he was. The Spirit comes, they start speaking in tongues in that moment, known languages, they're sharing the gospel and people hear that and some people say they're drunk and other people are trying to figure out what's going on and Peter said, we're not drunk. This is what Peter says. Watch the similarity. He quotes Joel. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So Peter is announcing that day has come. What you're seeing right in front of you is what God promised Joel, that the Holy Spirit would come upon all people. And so it rolls itself out into the book of Acts. You see different significant groups come and whenever there's, as I understand it, whenever there's a significant group that would be hard for the Jews to get their heads around being saved, you have the Spirit come in a, in a, in a uh, very public way. They go to Samaria. The Samaritans receive the baptism of the Spirit, speak in tongues, and everybody goes, oh my goodness, it's like we got. He goes to Cornelius' house as a Gentile, and the Gentiles now put their faith in Christ, and they receive the baptism of the Spirit and speak in tongues, and everybody says, wow, they received the Spirit just like we did. And then they meet the disciples of John the Baptist on one of their trips and say, hey, have you heard, have you heard about the Holy Spirit? Have you been baptized in the Spirit? They say, we haven't even heard about the Holy Spirit. And they receive that. And again, everybody says, wow. So through Acts, you have this unique moment that goes on at different groups to verify they're just like us. They're just like us. They've received the same spirit as we have. So brand new, radical things that are happening. We're making our way to don't quench what he wants to do. So you can appreciate what we have as New Testament believers is radically different than what believers in the Old Testament had. So you you get into the letters and you find out as they're teaching that this is a key piece of New Testament teaching. It's a key part for the early church to understand that not only have all of your sins been forgiven, but now you're not looked to, God is not looking to you to keep his law. Instead, he has put his Holy Spirit into you so that you have this capacity to live for him. 
and to, you, to uh, be used by him in the mission as he sends you out into to mission. The Holy Spirit comes in, he changes you, he begins to do that work. That was the early church teaching, that he's in you and he's in you forever. And so you see words like, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You, you see words like, what Joel promised, in those days I will pour out my spirit. It says in Romans 5 that hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured out his love into us by the Holy Spirit who's given to us. He's poured that into you. And then it says in Ephesians 1 that he has sealed you. So the Holy Spirit's in there and he's sealed. He's not coming out. So you never have to, ever have to pray, Lord, you know, please don't take him. You never have to pray, please give him back to me. Because he's in there. He's in there to stay. He's in there to to do what he's been called to do in your life. What's he been called to do in your life? The moment the Holy Spirit came into you as a brand new believer, he he came to take control of you. To take control. He showed up as the, the man in charge in your life at that moment. The moment that you were saved, your life was no longer your own. Now you were, a servant of, you were a servant of the king who was going to be empowered by his spirit who knew the mind of God, Corinthians says, so you could live out God's plan for your life. Totally different plan than you had. For some of you, a radical difference in the way you were living, depending on how, how you were living. Others of you sh- being pushed out to serve him in ways that are totally foreign to you or totally not who you thought, what you thought you could do or who you thought you were. He's shown up to take control and to change you as God knows you need to be changed. He takes away the right from you to say, well, this is just who I am. This is, how I, this is how God made me. You know, how often does God call us to do things and we blame him for not, I can't really, sh- I can't really talk to people about the gospel because God just made me to be shy. You know, there's a rumble up in heaven, I think, when, he hear, when they hear stuff like that. So he's come to change you into whoever it is God needs you to be or whoever it was God created you to be but your woundedness changed that. For some of us, that's our story. Those wounds that you've experienced along the way, growing up, some, so many of us, remember we were talking a few weeks ago, so many of us wounded by church, he's come to take control of you, to change you so you don't live in your woundedness, so you don't stay there. That's what he's come to change and transform. That's why we see words in the New Testament like transformed. That's not tweaking, that's transforming you. And he's come to use you for what God is doing. So all of us, we have different things, different places, different roles. God's called us to do kingdom work and to be salt and light and to bring people into Jesus, to help people grow in Jesus and find their purpose and be released. He's come to give you victory. You know, if you've been saved a long time and you still struggle with whatever it is you still struggle with, that's probably an area where you're quenching the Spirit because He's shown up to giving you victory. The Holy Spirit in you will never say, huh, I've never run into this before. You know, I was, in, I was in my doctor's office once. You know, when you get older, you're an older teenager, but you're still going to your pediatrician. You know how awkward that is? So I was in Dr. Bragg, who's, you know, lived up the street from me, and his son was one of my best friends. I'm seeing Dr. Bragg. I'm on the table. I'm just sitting there waiting. He gets a phone call in the little exam room. And, and he was, he was um, how do we say, probably near retirement. Is that a gracious way to put that? But anyway, he answers the phone, He's, uh-huh, uh-huh. Wow, I've never had that happen before. 
Let me tell you, there was a confidence drop in the table where I was sitting. You never, what, who is it? What is it? Are they my age? Are they dealing with what I'm dealing with here? What's going on? I've never had that. The Holy Spirit will never say that to you. But we, we struggle with, this is, you know, I've just always struggled with this. I can't get past this. You know, one of the things I love about our church is how many of you in recovery are, are moving further and further into your sobriety. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit, yeah, yeah. But the other, night in, the other night in Road to Recovery, and hey, as you pray for Road to Recovery, you'll be encouraged to know we had 30 out for Road to Recovery the other night. We were really blessed by that. So step one they were doing the other night, we are powerless. That's what the Holy Spirit needs on his way to get you a victory. I'm powerless. Not I'm figuring out a way to do this or I'm gonna tell God he can change me to this degree. He's come to give you victory. And then he's come to send you out. You know, you're receiving in these worship services, we're receiving week after week after week to do to, so that we can be sent out effectively. You go out to work, wherever it is you go out, he has sent you out. That's what the Holy Spirit has come to do. He, he's come to do that with his power, not your power. So in, in Ephesians 1, Paul's praying over these Ephesians. He's praying that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. And he prays a number of things, and he gets down to praying this specifically. I want you to pray, I want you to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power. I want you to look at the adjectives he's using here. I, he's not saying, I want, I want you to know God's power. I want you to know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. When we, come, when we struggle in an area, when you struggle with something in your personality, when you struggle with your woundedness, and we have that sense, I don't know if I can do this. This is your verse. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward you, like the working of his great might which he used to raise Jesus from the dead. What it took for the Holy Spirit to raise Jesus from the dead is what he's going to do in you to bring victory to whatever it is you struggle with or whatever it is you're trying to be healed from or whatever it is that limits you. That's the power that he's released in your life. That's, that's all that's available to you. There's no qualifier toward us who believe. You know, if you've believed in Christ, here's, what, here's the Holy Spirit, here's what he does, and, and here's how he carries that out. He does that. You don't have to pray that he'll do it. You don't have to beg that he'll do it. You don't, you don't have to hope that he'll do it in you like he's doing in someone else. It's what he does until you come to 1 Thessalonians 5. Quench not the Holy Spirit because when we wrestle with, why doesn't it happen to me? Why doesn't he work in me like he's working in them? It typically comes to 1 Thessalonians 5 because in some way, we've quenched the Holy Spirit. It's a word that means douse the Holy Spirit. It means to douse something, which is so appropriate. I mean, the Holy Spirit's pictured as fire so often. I was really interested when Carrie prayed that. He's pictured as fire, so it's a great, it makes sense, doesn't it, that do not throw water on what the Holy Spirit is fire is doing in you or in your church or in your family or, or wherever it might be. Do not put water on that. You know, and any of us that have had a fire pit or you've gone camping and you have fires or I was a Boy Scout, why do we have fires? <laughs> All of us have been told, make sure you put that out. Make sure you douse that well. Make sure you don't leave any coals that could restart. 
And for some of us, you, you grew maybe when you first came to faith in Jesus and maybe you've plateaued for a long time. This is your verse. Something, for some reason, you doused what the Holy Spirit was trying to do in you. You know, we think, well, it's easy for us to say, yeah, you just fell into sin and you doused what the Holy Spirit was doing. But there's so many reasons we do that, isn't it? There's some of you, you, you have such insecurities that you don't, you don't deserve this. God wouldn't do this for you. I mean, it's a lie from, from the pit of hell because it said toward us who believe. But some of you, your journey has convinced you you don't deserve this. And that's how you've doused that. You know, how often do I talk to people that believe God is love, but they didn't really doesn't love me? In fact, I've been listening to this really good book, uh, The Christian Atheist, and one of the chapters on the Christian atheist believes God is love, but doesn't love them. You, if you live that, you are dousing the reality of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're dousing what he's trying to do and make real in your life that he's trying to make you feel love. He's trying to give you the security of that. He's trying to heal the unloved the unloved parts of your story. And so, yeah, let me just wait a second. And so, so you douse that with your thoughts of insecurity, with your thoughts of not you. Sometimes it's fear. Well, well if I do this, if I step into the situation, if I step out of the situation, if I step out of this relationship, then what happens? What if? And, and we begin to live in the land of what if? And that what if douses what the Holy Spirit's trying to do in your life. You know, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm capable of. I'm trying to convince you I have power enough to do this and I have wisdom. I know what I'm doing. This is what the word says. And we douse that with unbelief or we douse it with pride. That I hear you, Pastor Jeff, and I hear you this morning. And you know what? I'm doing okay though. I'm better than, which seems to be how a lot of us are wired. As long as there are people worse than us, we're okay. We're okay. Hey, I'm finding out that's a reality in the, in the addiction world. Uh, you know, a number of my friends are telling me, yeah, that's kind of as long as you could find someone worse, then you really weren't that bad. You didn't have to deal with it yet. That's pride. Pride, because God is, you know, pride. Uh, God is, is so much like my mom in that moment. I'm not talking about you, brother. I'm talking about you. Right? I mean, how many of us grew up with that? Yeah, but he, and not talking about him, talking about you. That's how heaven looks at this. Not talking about what they're doing with the Holy Spirit, talking about what you're doing with the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and tuning in, sometimes it's just that we're tuning him out. You know, we don't want to hear what he says because he knows where he's going to take that thing. And so, you know, however we do that or distraction or whatever that is, we quench what he wants to do. We, we just stifle that. When you don't give him instant, full, automatic obedience, you have, you have doused what he's trying to do. And you know where we see this a lot? New believers, they come in, they're excited, they want to grow, they want to know, and then we talk to them about baptism. It's, yeah, I, I just don't want to do that right now. Just poured water on what the Holy Spirit's doing because the word is so clear. When you come to faith in Jesus, you just make that public. You make a public statement of in baptism of that. And we just see so many people wrestle with that for so many reasons. You know, the, the one obviously I can't get this, so I'm I'm bracing myself. The one that I totally don't get is, yeah, but my hair. You know, if you put me under water, my hair. 
Yeah, for about 10 seconds, people are going to see what you look like as a wet rag. <laughs> but heaven, but heaven is going to see, I know I might have made it worse for some of you, sorry about that, yeah. And we can hold the towel up, we'll do that. But he, you know what heaven sees? Obedience. And what the Spirit sees is cooperation. And he's ready to take you on to the next thing because you've been obedient. And so does he stop working absolutely in somebody that refused to be baptized or whatever it is? I mean, most of the time we know what it is God's trying to get us to obey and we're resisting him on. Does he stop working totally? I don't think he stops working totally. You know, that's up to him. He may for some people, other people he keeps working, but but not at the level he could. He, he can't take you in the track that he'd like to. So these Thessalonians, they're quenching the spirit. I want to go back to chapter one because I want to see the, what their reality was. It was a couple months ago we were there. He talks about what their situation is, which makes it so interesting that he would say at the end of the letter, so stop now quenching the Holy Spirit. This was their experience. This was their normal. This really is supposed to be normal for church life. He says in chapter one in verse four, for we know brothers loved by God that he has chosen you. And how does he know that? Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. You received the word, your lives were changed, you became an example to people in that whole region. In all, all of New England, he could be saying. Yeah. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Yeah, people everywhere know about the change in your life. Yeah. Hey, and I wonder, if, could one of the ushers get Tom a drink just to help him out? Thanks, Bill, for, yeah, yeah. Good, thanks, Iris, yeah. So, so their lives had been radically changed by the Holy Spirit, and everybody knew about it. Can you imagine, can you imagine Paul writing us a letter and saying, man, everybody in New England knows what's happened at Cottage Hill. Everybody in New England, here's how you, your lives change. You used to worship this way, but now you've given that up. And used to be in these kind of relationships, but no more. Everybody in New England knows this. That was their normal. So something happened between then and now that he says to them, stop quenching the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is always working to take you, however long you've been saved, to the next level. So one of the things we've got to ask ourselves, one of the things Pastor Ted and I have to ask ourselves, how long since we went to the next level? You know, how long since he moved me to the next level of effectiveness or knowing him or being surrendered to him? I mean, we're praying Wednesday nights for revival. We're really just praying, God, we just want to be absolutely surrendered to you. So show us what needs to happen for, the, for that to take place. In Thessalonians, it had stopped somehow. Important for us to read the letter, be encouraged by the Thessalonians, but then also get that reality check. God, have I quenched you? Have I, am I throwing water on what it is you're trying to do in me or what it is you're trying to do through me? 
what work you're trying to do and I'm telling you how busy I am or that's not me or whatever, whatever that is. Am I getting in the way of that? Don't quench the Holy Spirit. And then these are his goodbye commands and then he goes on to that other one. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. And it almost seems in that one, if he's saying, you know, stop stifling the Holy Spirit on the one hand, on this one, he's saying, stop blowing off what God is saying. Stop just blowing that off. Like, it's not that significant. It's, it's not that important. Because that's what was going on there. God is, he is always speaking. He's always talking. Creation begins, doesn't it, with God speaking. And he says, and he says, and he says, and all of this that we see around us is just because of his speaking. In the Old Testament, if we do, you know, if we do again, just a, a short history, I'm trying to find where that is, yeah. If we do a short history of prophecy, in the Old Testament, God speaks to, he speaks to just a few people. Let's see if I can find it out. Yep, it started that God would speak to a limited number of people central to his purposes. He didn't speak to everyone they didn't, not everyone even had a Bible. They didn't have a Bible at all in the very beginning. And so he would speak to someone central to his purpose and that would get passed on. Central to his purpose, Abraham. Central to his purpose, Isaac, Jacob. And then it goes down. You have significant people in the Old Testament who are significant to us, but God doesn't speak to them. God never speaks, as far as we know, to David. He speaks to him through the priest and the Urim and the Thummim. He speaks to him through the prophet Nathan, but he never speaks directly to him. As far as I can tell, I don't think God ever speaks directly to Daniel. He speaks to him through an angel, but never directly. It's just really rare that God speaks to a person in the Old Testament until you get this office of prophets. And now you have this, this group of people who are known as prophets and God is speaking to speaking to the people through them. You get that, that word of, of what it is that he's speaking. It's prophets are people who speak God's truth to a specific moment. So much of what the prophets do is they're just, hey, this is what's going on in our country. This is what we need to do about it. Most of their prophetic word just speaks to the moment that's happening right now. Some of it is pro prophetic. Some of it speaks to the future. And we typically think, oh, prophet, they're predicting things, but not much. Most of it is, this is what's going on right now. This is what God has to say right now. God is speaking directly to the prophets, and they're passing that on. And so if you have your King James Bible, you keep seeing this phrase, thus saith the Lord. This is what the Lord says directly. This is what God says. Past Ted and I get up, we say, this is what God's word says, because he hasn't given us anything fresh overnight. If he gives us something fresh overnight, you need to fire us <laughs> because there is no new revelation. He's given it to us. He says in the end of Revelation, it's closed. If anyone adds or subtracts, uh, there's a judgment on them. So you have that very limited group of people. Moses, God speaks to directly. Face to face, he even said to Moses, central to his purpose. He spoke to groups. Some of the prophets are famous. Some of the prophets are famous even though they didn't write scripture. Elijah and Elisha, we know a lot of their miracles, but they, as far as we know, they didn't write any scripture. So you've God speaking to these specific men and women. They're, they're speaking to their moment, to God's truth of the moment. This is what God has to say to us. And then comes Jesus. 
And Jesus, you know, is this great, he is a prophet. And so everything he says is, is prophetic. He's speaking to the moment. He's speaking to the future. He's speaking about who God is. He's speaking about what we can, what we can do to rely on God. All of those things. Every word he says is prophetic in a sense. And then he tells us the night before he dies that he's going to give us the Holy Spirit. And now with the Holy Spirit comes the, come these gifts that help us function as a church. And, and with, the, with the Holy Spirit comes these offices that are new and that are essential to build the church. You have the office of apostle and you have the office of a prophet in the New Testament days. And as the church is developing and things are rolling out, you have those things kind of morph. Where you, initially you have the apostles. Remember when they, they go to replace Judas, they say, we need somebody who's been here from the beginning. I think the second thing is someone that was a witness to the resurrection. How many of those guys do we have? And they have two of them. And so they choose one to fill Judas's place. Those are the apostles. And then Paul is somehow added to that. So you have the apostles as a class, as an office. But then that morphs into something else because you have other people through the New Testament who'll start to be referred to as apostles, but at a different level. Same thing with prophets, it seems like, in a different way. But you get into, as the New Testament develops, as I understand it, you know, as having studied it, is that the apostles and the prophets, that was essential to the beginning days of the church. And so Ephesians will say that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And so, as I understand it, we don't have apostles and prophets anymore in that way. You have the gift of prophecy. What that is morphed from, hey, here's a fresh word of God, because they needed fresh words of God in the New Testament. They needed a New Testament. And so you have God giving a new word, and they're checking that to see, is that, is that, is that from God? Does it line up with what's been said? You have these prophetic words. But you also have the gift of prophecy. And in, in Corinthians, there's a lot of talk about desire prophecy over tongues. Tongues is a very showy gift, but you, ought to, you should want to have prophecy so you build up the body. So you have this sense of this gift that's a word from God. I want to, for our purposes this morning, when he says, don't despise uh, prophecies, I want to use that word prophecies in the broadest sense for us. I want to pull you into that this morning. I want to use it in its broadest sense because remember, in the, in the Old Testament, it's bringing God's word to a specific moment. Let's use prophecy here in that broadest of ways. And if we do it in that broadest of ways, this is a, such a moment when I am bringing to you what God has to say to this moment. Don't despise that. Don't blow that, don't just blow that off. That's what, that's what the word despise means. Treat as something that's little or treat as something that's unimportant. When someone comes to you with, this is what the word says, this is what the Lord says, don't make light of that. Don't minimize the significance of that. That, that this, this could be God speaking to me. You know, we have to, you know, Pastor and I, we have to run that, that balance really carefully that we are not God speaking. It's important for us to know that. It's important for you to know that on your side. But hopefully, if we're accurate, this is the word of God speaking. And you have to wrestle out, what is God saying to me? Because either, either he's got it wrong, he's studied and his application is wrong, or I've got to do what God is saying. Or I'm despising today's word. I'm belittling that. 
And we do that a lot. We belittle the speaker sometimes and belittle despising the speaker. You know, it's Pastor Jeff. That's just something, I mean, I know just prayer is big to those guys. It's just, you know, prayer. Instead of, could God be calling you to step into what he's trying to do in this church through prayer? It's just kind of the thing that they're on. Well, I know this is really important to him. I know he seems worked up about this today. However that is, it's easy to despise or just to blow away the speaker. They're young. I still, you know, I think back to being 27 years old and going to that church in Maine. And I think in that culture, there was this sense of he's young. Hey, I was young and boy, did I butcher messages. But I still had the word. I mean, it was still the word even though I was 27. You know, you find people through the scriptures who are young. Paul says to Timothy, don't anybody look down on you because you're young if you're doing what God wants you to do. You know, I'm so thankful. One of the reasons I'm in ministry is because as a teenager, our church encouraged us, you know, to find our place of service, gave us opportunities. Yeah, we need to dial into that. Don't belittle the speaker. If we use prophecies in, in its widest sense, then hopefully after service or before service or during the week and you're talking to someone in the church family or you're talking to one of your other Christian friends and they say, you know, I just, I feel like God has put this on my heart to say to you. Or they listen to you and they're trying to give you encouragement or direction or correction from the scriptures. That's a word from the Lord for your moment. And you need to not belittle the person. Well, where do you tell me that? That's belittling the word. You need to discern, is this a word from the Lord for me? Sometimes we're just reading a verse in the widest sense. It could fit under this. Don't belittle that. Don't belittle, don't belittle the speaker. Don't belittle the truth. That just wouldn't work for me. I'm not really sure that's what it means now. This is a complicated day. You don't know my marriage. You don't know my job. You don't know my boss. You don't know the way I am. You don't know what I've been through. So many times I find I listen, as you listen to people self-speak, we're embracing, we're embracing things that are holding us back. We embrace them. This is me. This is what's happened. It's okay, well, let's get past that and let's find the healing and the freedom that the Holy Spirit is dying to bring out of you. Don't despise the truth or don't despise the moment. Well, that's, this just isn't the right time for me to do that. I'm not ready to do that. What would, it would cost me too much. It would be too hard. Whatever that is, we despise the moment that this is in. If, if prophecy in its broadest sense is bringing what God has to say to a moment, then God has chosen the moment to say. I mean, I thought it'd be done with Thessalonians a while ago, and somehow God has chosen this is the moment we're here. This is the moment where we confront ourselves with, am I dousing what the Holy Spirit's trying to do in my life? Have I been dousing what the Holy Spirit's been trying to do in my life for years? You know, some of us that just have, we are what we've been for a long time. Am I just making little, am I blowing off what God is saying in moment after moment after moment? Because after a while, he's just going to stop speaking. You know, and so sometimes we wrestle with, how come I don't hear from God like other people hear from God? Sometimes God gives you silence just to wait and develop that. But sometimes it's like, you know, it's like our parents said to us, I'm not telling you what's next until you do what I said last time. And so don't despise the moment. There was an element that must have been going on in there where they were getting false words. 
And so they're told, like everything, test everything and hold fast to what's good. Because we've all had people say to us, well, I feel like this is what God's saying to you. And you think, yeah, that's not God. You know, you get a sense in that. I remember the missionary that I went to, to India with was saying he was in a meeting once and they were, they were there was a guy, brother that said to him, you know, I just sense from the Lord you are really battling with fear. And he said, you know, I checked my heart, but no, not, not, not at all. I was just, you're off. And, and the truth is, you know, if you tell someone, hey, this is what's on my heart, or this is what I'm sensing, you're going to be wrong sometimes. That's, you know, don't let that stop you. That's why you need to do it in spirit of humility. But test everything. Test everything. That's why, you know, the Bereans, when Paul goes to Thessalonica and he's driven out of there, the next town he goes to is Berea. And it says the Bereans, they were noble people because what they did was they heard what Paul said, they went home and they checked the scriptures to see if what he said was true. God affirmed that with them. And now he's telling the Thessalonians, when you get a word from the Lord, test that. Test that against the scripture because God is never, ever, ever going to contradict himself. He's never going to do that. He's never going to tell you to do something that's different than what he did in the word ever, ever. So the, that was an Old Testament test for the prophets, wasn't it? Given in the law that if someone comes to you and says something contrary to what I've said, you know that I've not sent them to you. So if, if God gives you a word from someone else or if you get a word from God, if it drives you away from the truth, okay, hear me now, if it drives you away from the church, you have not heard a word from God because the church is the central piece to everything God is doing. The church is the central piece of how he wants to change your life and use you. So if you say you have a word from the Lord and it's moved you further from the truth, that's not been a word from the Lord. So you need to hold on to what's good and recognize Whatever it is, that wasn't from God. You know, I remember Howard Hendricks used to say, sometimes we think we've heard from God, but we've really just had indigestion. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's just something, I just feel this. And it doesn't matter how you feel. It matters what he said. You know, Cindy, I, I just love you so much, but really, listen, I want to take the next three weeks and go fly fishing. I just feel that. I feel my love for you. <laughs> She would say, you're going to feel something. <laughs> Talk about the laying on of hands, brother. <laughs> yeah. Are you with me, though? Test it. Be willing to test it, because sometimes what you're going to want to hear from God gets, gets things confusing, isn't it? You're going to want to hear him say something that you're dying to change your situation or to make your situation easier or to make it less painful. Our woundedness, and all of us have been wounded, and so many of us, if, you know, have been wounded in church situations. We're going to want God to tell us that it's okay to back up a little bit. But often, he's drawing you deeper into it so you can find healing and so you don't get stuck in a place. So test that. And then we can always find a way to use God's word to, to give us the permission to do things that are wrong. I remember in school, they told us, and now that I've read the Bible you know, for 40 years or whatever. It's true. You can find a verse that gives you permission to do pretty much anything. I remember in the days of the King James, 
They used to say, well, there was a validation to, you know, just gorge yourself because it says, I buffet my body. Remember that in 1 Corinthians 7, I buffet my body, yeah. You get people that just twist, you can twist the scripture, you can find something for whatever it is you want to believe. And so that's why he says to them, we're still talking about prophecy, I believe, abstain from every form of evil. Over in Corinth, they're still going to the temple and having sex with prostitutes, and they found a way to validate that. So in Thessalonica, make sure those prophecies you hear take you away from evil and not give you a reason to stay where you're at. You know, we even just land on that thing sometimes of, well, I can be forgiven, right? I remember having a conversation with somebody that's just out there, but I can be forgiven, right? Right, but you are totally abusing the scriptures. So hold on to the good, abstain for what's evil. You know, there's one other application in here that I want to pick up on if we're using this wide, wide understanding of prophecies. And that is to be faithful when God gives you a word for someone. You know, whether you feel like I've got a word for you. We were talking earlier. I feel like it's only twice in my life I've had such a specific burden from God that I've said, I feel like I have a word from God for you. Because, boy, that's dangerous stuff. I mean, heaven really leans in to say, what are you going to say I said? Remember that? We did that as parents, right? You get home and you found out the kid in charge made up rules that you never gave them. So when you say, I have a word from the Lord, God takes that really personally because he's already given his word. You know, he wants to make sure that what you're saying really is from him. So really, I feel like maybe twice I've had something that specific. Hey, many times I feel like, hey, I feel like God wants me to say this or I feel like this is what you need to hear from the Lord. That's pretty common. That's just, that's just you know, encouraging each other with the word. That's just building one another up as we need to be built up. So when you have that, because so many times I'll hear from you, I felt like God wanted me to say, but I didn't want to say it, I wasn't sure, all those things. When you have those things, say them. Remember this verse in Jeremiah? Jeremiah says, if I say, I will not mention him or speak anymore in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary with holding it in, and I cannot. Hey, I hope that's how God word is, God's word is in me. I, I hope that's how it is in you, that it's just so burning that you know in the moment you can't keep it in. You, you've got to give it out. So often it's going to be a word of encouragement or a word of direction to someone. Once in a while it's going to be a word of correction. And you need to speak that out. You know, in reality, Pastor Ted and I need you to speak that out so that, so that as a body we're just keeping it other in each other in check whether encouragement or correction, that you're just bringing the word as you see it. Sometimes it's going to be, you don't have to have a word from the Lord. You've got God's word. That, wait a minute, I hear what you're saying, but this is what the scriptures say. You know, and other times you're not sure, you don't have a specific verse, but you just have a sense of what God is putting on your heart for you. And even then, it's just, you take it before the Lord and see if that's right, but this is what I feel like he wants you to say. Say that. That's just part of normal church life. But when someone says that to you, don't just blow it off. Don't blow off the God is, what God is saying to you. And again, present command. So it's somewhere along the way in Thessalonica, some of them just stopped dialing into God. Some of them didn't want to hear what he had to say, whether it was because of a particular topic or whatever it was, they didn't want to hear what he had to say. I hope 
that we are going to experience chapter one where we are laying down our lives and the Holy Spirit is working and what God is doing at Cottage Hill becomes known to his glory. If that's going to happen, it's because we are not in chapter five where we are throwing water on what the Holy Spirit might want to do on you, what we want him to do on, on us as a church, or because we're just not giving weight to what he's saying to us. So let's pray. Father, thank you so, so much that we are living in this side of the New Testament. Thank you so much that for every one of us that, that you have saved, that the Holy Spirit has come in and taken a permanent residence in us. We're so thankful to you, Holy Spirit, for what you've done in our lives, for opening our minds and helping us even to understand the gospel and being able to humble ourselves to receive salvation. And I just want to pray that over some of you that might be here today and you're on the outside looking in. All that God would love to do in your life and give to you hinges on what you do with Jesus and what you do with all of those things that you've done wrong and are wrong about you and whether you're going to just try to be good enough to offset that or whether you agree with God that you can never do that and you accept Jesus' substitution for you, his payment for you. You ask him to be your savior. You ask him to be your Lord and come into your life. Then you're with the rest of us in whom the Holy Spirit's at work. So be at work, Holy Spirit. Give you permission to point out to us where you've been grieved or where you've been doused so that you can work freely. We give you the right to show that our explanations and our objections, that they're hollow so that you have, you're able to work full force as you want to work. We give you permission to redirect our lives and our service, and to, we give you permission to call us to get involved in deeper ways. We give you permission to heal our wounds, God, and even to do that, you have to, yeah, for so many of us, you're gonna have to rip that scab off so that we see those wounds and walk into healing. We pray you do that, that we experience that kind of power that you talk about. We believe that it's real. It's true that it's for all of us. And so, God, I just pray we'd be a church that experiences that. How the world needs to see your power at work. And then to have a word from you, to have this word that's been written and preserved that we, that we can have copies of, God, when so many in the persecuted church are without them. So many places in the world, there's so much illiteracy or the Bibles are so expensive and here we all are on our phone, in our hand. Thank you so much for that. Thank you, you speak to every moment of our lives. Thank you for those you've used to speak into our lives, God whether it's been preaching and teaching or whether it's just been people faithful to love us enough to speak what it is you're trying to say to us. God, would you, would you help us to live in that heart of flesh and not that heart of stone? Would you give us the humility to hear from you no matter who it's from or even, God, no matter how badly it's put sometimes, would you help us to be able to hear the kernel of what it is you're trying to say in that? and then to just align our lives with that. If we do that, the things we will experience, the things that the Holy Spirit longs to do, we'll see him doing. And so that's our surrender.
Yeah. Carrie and a team are going to come up and sing in a minute. I want to just give us a minute just to sit. So you give opportunity to the Holy Spirit just to speak. Is there an area of your life that needs to be changed? Is there an area of your life where you've shut them down? Is there something God's trying to say that you're tuning out? Let's just give ourselves a quiet moment before they come. Father God, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for Jesus this morning. And thank you for your Holy Spirit this morning. Lord, help us be willing to the moving of the Spirit in our lives. Give us the courage to lay down the things that we need to lay down. Give us the courage to have the scabs removed that need to be removed. Give us the humility to receive everything that you're trying to do in our lives, Lord. you are our foundation our firm foundation solid rock that does not move you've given us everything that we need we hold your word in our hands and we store it in our hearts Lord given us your spirit to empower us and to guide us and to lead us into the depths of the truth of your word, Lord. You are faithful. We can trust you to build our lives on you.
every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. you notice I didn't go to the end of Thessalonians. I just want to read that over you because I feel like this is a blessing that Paul gives. If you've made it through Thessalonians saying yes all the way, here is your blessing. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers, sisters in these days with a holy elbow. (laughs) I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers, and we have done that. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Have a great week, sir, in the Lord. Hey, Pastor Ted and I will be up here to pray with you. However we can pray, we've asked Carrie to join us. For those of you women that like a woman to pray over you, so we're available. Otherwise, speak the truth over each other.